Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. She slipped out of town every day at noon, the hottest part of the day. She walked 500 meters to the well. She drew water. She walked 500 meters back every single day. It was a strange thing to do. See, everybody else in town was in their homes or huddling to protect themselves from the overpowering heat, but not her. Every day at noon, she would walk 500 meters to the well and 500 meters back. It was a strange thing to do. But strange was the point. Because strange meant that no one else was doing it. Strange meant that when she walked to the well and when she walked back, she could do it alone. See, everybody else drew water early in the morning when it was relatively cool. She remembered as a little girl, she used to go with them. She remembers laughing and skipping and running and chatting with her friends. Strength in numbers. Support of the team. The comfort of community. But there's no strength in numbers for her now and there's no comfort in community at all. She tried a few times to go with the group early in the morning, but no one talked to her. No one would even look at her. They made a point of getting as far away from her as they possibly could. No one laughed with her. But sometimes when she looked up, she could see two or three of them gathered, their mouths covered, pointing at her, looking at her, laughing at her. So every day she walked to the well at noon, the hottest part of the day. 500 meters there and 500 meters back. It was a strange thing to do, but strange was the point because she preferred being alone to the pain of rejection. On this particular day, though, she thought she was alone, but when she got about 20 meters from the well, she noticed there was a group of men gathered around the well. Now she wanted to stop and go home, but they would have already seen her, so she slowed her pace and she kept her eyes downcast. She was so relieved when, out of her peripheral vision, she saw the men walking past her to the town that she had just left. You know, they made a point of keeping as far away from her as they could, but she didn't care. She was just happy to get the well to herself. When she got there, she stood and then she heard a voice, a man's voice. He said, would you get me a drink of water? Okay, so one of them had stayed back intentionally. You need to know this about this particular woman. Men, in her experience, kind of fit into two categories. Category one, they avoided her. Category two, they wanted her. They avoided her or they wanted her. Well, this guy had stood behind waiting for her. He had initiated a conversation, so he most definitely fit into the latter category. It's weird, too, because from his accent, she could tell that he was Jewish. This was a Samaritan town. Samaritans were hated by Jews. Jews would never talk to a Samaritan. Not only that, she was a Samaritan woman. No Jewish man would ever talk to any woman in public, let alone a Samaritan woman, but he did. And so she answered him. She said, what is a Jewish man like you asking a Samaritan woman like me for a drink of water? And that's when the conversation got really weird because this is what he said. He said, if you knew the generosity of God, if you knew the generosity of God, you would have asked me for a drink and I would have given you living water. 
He went on to explain that whoever drinks of this living water would never get thirsty again. It's like a a well that springs up inside of your soul. And that sounded really good to her. It sounded really refreshing to her. She said, tell me more about this living water. He said, sure, go get your husband and we'll talk all about it. She said, I don't have a husband. He said, what you say is true. You've had five husbands. And the man that you're with right now is not your husband. Well, she didn't need this. This is why she came to the well at noon. She didn't need to listen to this. She, was, she didn't need her water that bad. She was going to walk back to town. She would get water later. But just before she headed back, she looked into his eyes and she didn't see condemnation. She didn't see hatred. She didn't see mockery. She didn't see judgment. What she saw instead shocked her. She saw kindness and compassion. It's as if he was saying this. I know. I know. That five husbands and the man that you're with right now is not your husband. I know. I know the rejection. I know the pain. I know the trials. I know the trauma. I know the abuse. And yeah, I know the regret. And I care. And that kindness and that compassion in his eyes, it stopped her dead in her tracks. She looked at him and she said, are you a prophet? They started talking about worship and religion and about how we please God and what she said next. To this day, she has no idea why she said it. It just kind of came out of her mouth. She said this, well, when the Messiah comes, everything will be okay. When the Messiah comes, everything will be okay. And as soon as those words came out of her mouth, she knew what he was going to say next. And she got goosebumps. And every molecule in her body was leaning in because she knew what he was going to say before he said it. She said, when the Messiah comes, everything will be okay. He paused and he said, I am he. And she knew that he was. She she nodded. There was tears in her eyes. His friends came back, and so she headed into town. She told everyone who would listen, you got to meet this guy. He told me everything I've ever done. I think he's the Messiah. you got to meet this guy. He, He told me everything I've ever done. I think he's the Messiah. And the people in this little Samaritan town, they listened to her, and they went out, and they met Jesus. And he was the Messiah, and he is the Messiah. And that little Samaritan town was changed forever. And that woman, that woman, she knew from that day on what living water really is. See, I tell you that story out of John chapter 4 because we're on step 12 of this series on the 12 steps of recovery. And what I've been trying to say all summer long is that for so many of us, after the last few years that we've walked through, our story is stuck on a bad part. Or there's a part of our story that's stuck on a bad part. And we're in this series because we're saying, God, would you please help us turn the page? Would you please help us turn the page from wherever our story is stuck? And step one through ten really, really focus on turning the page. But there's something really unique and really amazing about step 11 and step 12. And step 11 and step 12, it's, it's as if uh, the journey goes like this. Okay, now that you've turned the page, now that you've turned the page, it's time to ask God, to give you the strength to tell a new story. That your life would tell a better story, a beautiful story. It's amazing. Step 12 says this. 
having had a spiritual experience as the result of these steps, we try to carry this message to others and practice these principles in all our affairs. God, now that we've turned the page, would you please help us to tell a new story, to tell a better story, to tell a beautiful story? I want to use three points from that story that I told at the beginning in John chapter 4 to really drive home the truth of step 12. Three points from John chapter 4. Point number one, Jesus loves everyone. Point number two, everyone needs Jesus. Point number three, so therefore we need to tell everyone that Jesus loves them. Point one, Jesus loves everyone. Point two, everyone needs Jesus. Point three, therefore, we need to tell everyone that Jesus loves them. So point one, Jesus loves everyone. It sounds pretty generic and vanilla, doesn't it? Jesus loves you. But it's true and it really matters in 2022. You know, there's like a a raging debate going on in academic circles today. It's a traditional theory versus critical theory. Okay, in philosophy, in history, in the social sciences, traditional theory says this. We want to be non-biased. Okay? We want to look for corroboration, congruence, consistency. We want to be non-biased when we study history, philosophy, or the social sciences. Critical theory says this. Oh, no, we're already biased. So we're going to choose our bias. We are going to be critical of the powerful and the privileged. We are going to intentionally be critical of the powerful and the privileged, denigrate the powerful and the privileged so that we can elevate the marginalized, the maligned, the mistreated, and the underprivileged, that we can give the marginalized and the maligned a voice. So in that sense, it's really interesting to think that Jesus would be a critical theorist, right? Like, of all the people that he could have met with on that particular day, he met with this Samaritan woman. See, At that time, according to the Jews, the Samaritans, well, they were marginalized. They were maligned. They were mistreated. They were underprivileged. That's who the Samaritans were. And then this particular woman, she's marginalized by the Samaritans. She's mistreated by the Samaritans. She's maligned by the Samaritans. So Jesus sat down at a well in Samaria, and he met with the marginalized of the marginalized the maligned of the maligned, the mistreated of the mistreated. Why? Because that's who he wanted to meet with that day, because he loves her. Jesus came for the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. He's the great physician. He said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. That's who I came for. Jesus loves the marginalized and the maligned. And yet, what separates Jesus from critical theorists What separates Jesus and his movement from every philosophy, every religion, every worldview, every theory that has ever existed. Jesus loves the less underprivileged and he also loves the powerful and the privileged as well. In Mark chapter 10, the rich young ruler, he's rich so he's privileged, he's a ruler so he's powerful, walks up to Jesus and says, Teacher, what must I do to be saved. The Bible says Jesus looks at him and he loves him. He looks at him and he loved him. He said, hey, rich young ruler, 
you got a lot of stuff and your stuff's got you. You're obsessed with it. Give it away. I guess what I mean is this. If you're powerful and privileged, I want you to know something. Jesus loves you. If you're marginalized, maligned, mistreated, or underprivileged, I want you to know something. Jesus loves you. Maybe you can relate to the Samaritan woman in that story in John chapter 4, that people say stuff about you. People think you're disgusting. They think you're gross. They think you're repulsive. Can I tell you something? Jesus doesn't think that at all. He's not repulsed by you. He's not disgusted by you. He loves you no matter who you are or where you've been or what you've done. Please know this. Jesus loves you. He doesn't think of you the way that people in the world think of you. And can I tell you something too? If you're powerful and privileged, maybe the world looks at you like, whoa, you're impressive. Jesus isn't that impressed with you. It's like if you send your son or your daughter off to kindergarten. And maybe in week two, they get out the paintbrushes and they do family portraits. And your son or your daughter comes home with a family portrait. What do you do? The first thing you do is you put that thing on the fridge. And the reason you do that isn't because you think your daughter is better than Emily Carr or your son is better than Rembrandt. You don't think that. You don't, you don't think so because it's like this, it's an example of this new wave of art that's going to sweep the globe and you want to be on the cutting edge. That's not why. Why? Why do you put that picture on the fridge? You do it because you love your kid. And I want you to know if you're powerful and privileged and the world thinks you're real impressive, that if you get down on your knees and you hand your life to Jesus, know that he's going to put your picture on his fridge because he loves you. In fact, I would tell you no matter who you are or where you've been or what you've done, Jesus has your picture on his fridge because he loves you. Jesus loves everyone. Point one. Point two, everyone needs Jesus. Everyone needs Jesus. Jesus said, I'm going to want to give you this living water. It's going to be like a, a well that springs up inside of your soul. Isn't that amazing? It's crazy because in this world, this is what I see over and over again. People are trying to, this is important, people are trying to quench their soul with the water of the world. People are turning to the well of the world to get water that will quench their soul. I, I, I want to suggest to you that we all know that doesn't work. That there's something inside of you and there's something inside of me that looks around and says, I mean, there's got to be more. There's got to be more to life than this. There's got to be more to hope than this. There's got to be more to adventure than this. There's got to be more waiting for me, more to look forward to than this. And Jesus is the more that we've all been looking for. And I think on some level, we know it. And yet the temptation in our world It's to look for the water of this world to quench our thirsty soul, and it doesn't work. Whether it's money or pleasure or sex or social media likes or financial gains or weight loss, whatever it is, we know on some level it ain't going to work. And so we turn to Jesus. There's an absurdity to thinking that I need a hope that transcends this world. So I'm going to try to use stuff inside of this world to transcend this world. Like I need something that goes above and beyond this world, so I'm going to use things in this world to help go above and beyond this world. It doesn't work. But Jesus came. 
He left heaven. He came to earth. He lived. He died so that we could put the brokenness in our broken world behind us. And he rose again so that we can rise to a hope, to a life, to an expectancy, to looking forward to something that goes above and beyond this world, that transcends this world. He's the more that we've been looking for. He's the living water that quenches our thirsty soul. So three points. Number one, Jesus loves everyone. Number two, everyone needs Jesus. Then number three, so therefore, so therefore, so therefore, we need to tell everyone that Jesus loves them. It's kind of cool, don't you think? Like as far as I can tell, the first Christian missionary in history is this Samaritan woman. How amazing is that? And it's kind of shocking too because she goes back into town. She's like, you got to meet this guy. He told me everything I've ever done. I think he's the Messiah. And the people listened to her. Which is odd because they spent so many years rejecting her, ostracizing her, avoiding her. But yet in this moment, they listened to her and they go and they meet Jesus. Why would that be? It kind of reminds me of some advice that I got when I just started teaching school. It's powerful advice, by the way, and it can apply to you if you're a parent, if you're a coach, if you're an employer, but the context I got it in was as a teacher. So she said to me, the students in your class are watching carefully how you treat your most difficult student. That all the students in your class are watching carefully to see how you treat your most difficult student. And if you are unkind to your most difficult students, all the students in your class will feel unsafe. And here's why. Because we can all relate to the most difficult student. There's a part of us that always feels unlovable and unworthy and stupid. But if you treat that most difficult student with kindness, even if you have to correct them, even if you have to discipline them, if you treat them with kindness, all the students in your classroom will feel safe secure, and they will grow, and they will learn. You get what I mean? Think about it. She says, hey, you got to meet this guy, okay? Like he told me everything I ever did. And they're all looking at her, and they got to be thinking, wait a minute. That means he knows everything you've done, and you're still smiling, which is shocking. So if this is the Messiah, and he can save you, oh, he can save me. There's something powerful about that. But I think there's an even deeper question. Not so much why they would listen to her. Why in the world would she tell them? Think about that. Why in the world would she go tell them? After they had rejected her and ostracized her and ignored her and made her life miserable, why would she go tell them that she met the Messiah. Here's why. I believe in that moment when she said, when the Messiah comes, everything will be okay. And he said, I am he. And she believed in him. She was saved. There was like a well of living water that sprung up in her soul. And in that moment, in that moment, one of the evidences that you've been saved, one of the evidence that you are a follower, a believer in Jesus is this. You have a hunger that other people would meet him too. Can I be real with you? Step 12. I think we've got to prepare ourselves, Southside. 
whether you're online or in person today, I think we got to tell a new story. I think we got to tell a better story. I think we got to tell a beautiful story this fall. We talk a lot about the fact that we are here for this city, and that's awesome. And we spend hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars to give tangible help to this city. But can I tell you something? Do you know what this city, do you know what your neighbors, do you know what your family, do you know what your friends need more than anything else? They need Jesus. Because we live in a culture that's just trying and trying and trying to quench their thirsty soul with the water of this world and it doesn't work and they know it and they're miserable. They might look like they're doing great on the outside, but they need to meet Jesus. So I just want to give you a quick heads up and then two challenges, okay? On September 11th, September 11th, we're starting, I think, the most intimidating and yet the most exciting series that I've ever stepped into as the lead pastor of this church. We're going to be spending about a year, about a year, yes, you heard that right, we're going to be spending about a year walking through the New Testament gospel of John. I am so incredibly excited. A little bit intimidated, but I'm so incredibly excited. The Gospel of John, it's the fourth New Testament gospel. It's the last one written. It's, it's written by Jesus' best friend. You know, like when Jesus hung on the cross, he looked at his disciple, John, and he said, John, I want you to look after my mom. This was Jesus' best friend who wrote a story of his best friend, Jesus. Augustine once said this. He said, the Gospel of John It's shallow enough that a child would never drown, and yet deep enough that an elephant could swim. You know what that means, right? That if you've been in church your whole life, that God's going to use this series to help you tell a new story, a better story, a more beautiful story. He's going to change you. Isn't that amazing? And if you're brand new to church, or if you invite someone who is brand new to church, never walked into church before, they're going to meet Jesus, the living water, and it's going to change everything. So in light of that, two challenges, okay? Number one, can we serve? Can I, can I ask you, <laughs> can I ask you, would you be willing to step up and serve this fall? We talked last week about the prayer of St. Francis. He says this, that it is by giving that we receive. It is by giving that we receive. It is by giving that we receive. That we are blessed the most when we are a blessing. That God gives us things, not so that they would flow to us, but flow through us. Serving. Serving is an example when Jesus said, you want to find real life? Lose yourself. Man, I would love it if you would be willing to step up. This city needs us. You know, if you're an OG Southsider, you know. That's why we built this building. If you're new, I'll tell you. This is why we built this building. So that we would have a home that we could welcome this city into. We could welcome everyone, the powerful and the privileged, the mistreated and the maligned. And we say, you know what? You've been trying to quench your thirsty soul with the well of this world. We want you to meet somebody and his name is Jesus. And I'm wondering, if, would you be willing to serve so that we can just welcome this city into our home this fall? That would be incredible. If, if you would be willing to step out could you text the keyword serve, S-E-R-V-E, to 604-670-3040? That would be incredible. Incredible. One more challenge. Do you think it would be okay if this fall we invite our friends to church? We invite our family to church? We invite our neighbors to church? It's a big deal, you know. I said before, we spend hundreds of thousands of dollars bringing tangible help to the city and to this world. It's amazing. 
you know what this world needs more than anything else? They need to meet Jesus. That new and better and beautiful story that you and I are going to tell with our lives, part of it, is to invite our friends to meet Jesus. There's some good friends of mine that have been at Southside for years now, and I remember this particular story. There was a young woman in their life, and they had been inviting her to church week after week, month after month, after month after month, and it just never worked. Either she didn't want to come, or she was going to come, but then something happened. But finally, this particular week, it looks like it's going to work out. So, so, so I mean, they haven't told me anything, but she's going to come to church on Sunday. Meanwhile, on Thursday, I'm preparing my sermon for that particular Sunday, and God told me, you need to tell the rock jar story. Okay, so let me just say something. I don't really love telling the rock jar story because it doesn't really make me look good, okay? So in, in, in a nutshell, the synopsis of the rock jar story is this. I'm 17 years old. Me and a bunch of buddies from Red Deer, we drive out to Peach Fest in Penticton. I got fake ID on me. First night we get there, we're out in the town. I end up wandering into this biker bar, the rock jar, by myself, okay? So this is what I look like at 17 years old. I had on a pink Ocean Pacific rugby shirt, okay? Collar turned up, buttons all the way down, okay? Gold chain, right? I had white clam diggers on. Now, some of you don't know what clam diggers are. Uh, okay, they're capri pants for guys, okay? That's what they are, all right? So I was wearing capri pants for guys. Blue boat shoes. My hair was like frosted tips, spiked up mullet, earring hoop with a cross hanging from it. So I walk into the rock jar, not looking exactly like everybody else there. I notice that the bouncer, this big biker guy, is looking at me. Now, if I had to try to describe to you how cool I thought I was and how tough I thought I was when I was 17 years old, it would be impossible, okay? So anyways, this guy's looking at me, and I'm like, I look at him, I'm like, what the bleep are you looking at? And he says to me, what? And I'm like, what the bleep? Okay, around the time I said bleep, I went from like looking at him to looking at the ceiling because he punched me that hard. All right, so uh, long story short, later on, I found my best buddy Grant. I said, Grant, we're going back to the rock jar. We're going to make them pay. And I got be beat up literally within an inch of my life. Okay, so that's the rock jar story. So meanwhile, you got this couple. They've been inviting this young woman to church. Like over and over and over again. On this particular week, she comes. She looks at them when the service is over, and she says, the rock jar. I used to hang out there. Like, that guy's lucky to be alive. Y you understand the point, right? Like God was saying to her that day, I see you. I know you. I care. See, there's an anointing on this church. You've probably seen it. That people who have never set foot in church before, they come walking into this church and they meet Jesus and everything changes. There's an anointing on this church. There's a gifting that God has given this church. There's an opportunity in front of us and it's incredible. I think about it a lot, you know. Talk about telling a new story and a better story and a beautiful story. I think about that because... I want you to think from the perspective, not so much even of the young woman, and I'm so glad she was there. But what if we thought of the perspective of the couple that had been inviting her? Do you think they're glad they did?
do you think they got a new perspective on gratitude? See, someone asked me once, why do you think the longer people have been in church, the less likely they are to invite a friend to come along on a Sunday? I think it's just we lose our gratitude. I don't think we mean to. I just think it's kind of human nature. We just start to take for granted everything that Jesus did for us. What do you think of that couple, though? You think they felt pretty grateful that day? You think they felt pretty enthusiastic? See, that's the point. You want to talk about a new story, a better story, a beautiful story? You want to talk about turning the page into something way, way better? It looks like that. It looks like that. So here's what I'd love for you to do is can you be, begin praying for one or two or three or four people in your life that you know, you know that Jesus wants to meet them and you know that he wants to change their life and change their marriage and change their family this fall. You can text the keyword invites to that same number, 604-670-3040. We have a whole package for you to look at and you can decide which which tools that are on there that you can send to a friend that you want to invite. One of them is Dave Poole, our expansion pastor, doing a video of everything that they could expect on a Sunday. We, we just want to make it as easy as we possibly can. Now we want to change this city. We want to change this world. How? How? I know how. You know how. You know how, right? It's from the inside out. That's how it works. That's how it works. I was just thinking, what would it be like to be a church full of people that we head back into our neighborhoods, back into our cities, and back into our towns. And our story goes something like that. Something like this. Okay. Okay. You gotta meet this guy. You, you, you gotta meet this He He told me everything I've ever done. He, he knows everything I've ever done. And yet he completely and totally and absolutely loves me. He's the Messiah. He loves me. And he loves you. I need him. And you need him too. And I love you enough to tell you. He's the living water. You meet him, it's like a well springs up inside of your soul. It changes everything. Let's pray. So God, I want to thank you for this series on the 12 steps. I pray for every single person online pray for every single per person who's here live. God, I pray that not only would you give us the ability to turn the page of our story or part of our story is stuck on a bad part, that you would help us turn the page. That we would step into your peace and your forgiveness and your hope. And God, and please, that you would lead us step by step into telling a new story, a better story, a beautiful story that would not only change us, but change our world. Because I know one thing, in the fall of 2022, this world really, 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 really needs you. May we be a people. May we be a church that introduces this world, to our best friend. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. 
Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.